My name's Simon, I work on staff here at King's, and uh, it's a real pleasure to be here today with you. If you were here last weekend, it was a, I was absolutely thrilled with last weekend. If you were here for Good Friday or Easter Sunday, it was, um, it's always a special moment, isn't it? When we uh, come and celebrate Easter, the pinnacle of the Christian year, and uh, last Sunday, I thought you'd be interested to know that the responses during our meeting last Sunday, let me tell you this, there were eight people who responded for first time salvation, first time they put their trust in Jesus, which is great, isn't it? And there were 16 that responded for baptism and, and uh, a number for recommitment as well. So it was just a remarkable weekend and so um, it's just been great. And uh, actually, since then, myself and my family have been away for a few days on holiday with some friends, uh, celebrating my daughter's 14th birthday. Been to, yeah, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've, been to visit, I've been to visit parents and grandparents uh, this week as well, so it's been, a, it's been a busy week. I hope you've had a great week, obviously enjoying unseasonably warm English weather. <laughs> it's been great, hasn't it? Um, it's a total delight to have the sun on our backs. It's been exciting. Next few weeks, we've got some just great weeks coming up at King's. We have our dedications next weekend, and then the weekend after is baptisms. So it's going to be just some exciting weeks coming up before we start our new series. Now, the message that I have today is one that I felt God give me a, quite a while ago, and it's been, I've been waiting for this moment to bring it. And, so, um, and this is a message for, for any one of you who's uh, ever felt alone or felt like no one is looking out for you, times when you are hidden. And I want to tell you a story just to illustrate this at the beginning. And this is the closest I've ever come to death. I've had a few close calls to death, but this is my closest to death. And I was uh, kayaking, canoeing on the uh, North Devon coast at a place called Woolacoon Bay. And they have huge waves that break on the, uh, on the sea there. And uh, I went out, in, out at sea in a kayak. I went through the waves out to sea quite a long way out, and unfortunately I capsized out at sea. And it was such rough weather that I lost my boat, I lost the kayak, the, the, um, the paddle, lost my helmet, and I was left stranded out at sea. And because the swell was going up and down, and the height of it meant I couldn't see anybody, and they couldn't see me. I was completely hidden from view. And uh, to make matters worse, the, the breakers were just so strong that I was just, all I was doing was just concentrating on trying to breathe and get in air before the next one came across and sent me underwater again. And I was lost like this for for some considerable time. Now, obviously, the good news is, I want to let you you know, I did make it back. (laughs) I did get in, but it took a long time, because the swell just doesn't, you're you're out of control. You have no control where you're going. And I remember the moment when I got back to shore, and my arms were blue up to my arm. I'd been out for the sea for quite some time, and it was an re- utter relief to make sure again. But for that period of time out at sea, I was completely hidden. There was an occasional surfer came by and saw me. But essentially, I couldn't see anyone and they couldn't see me. You see, life can feel like we're stranded at sea. Have you, tossed around by the waves. Can't reach solid ground. We're hidden. We're out of view. And wondering, we're wondering, how did we end up in that state? Do you ever feel like you've lost the direction of your life? Do you ever feel like you're out of control? Perhaps it's a time when you were ignored by someone else. 
you left out of a group or not been invited to an event or a party? Do you remember at school when the results came up and you thought, I didn't make it? Or perhaps in your workplace, people are getting promotions and you can't understand why you're not getting a promotion. Perhaps it's family breakdown that's left you feeling isolated. There are even times when you feel like you've done everything right. You've made all the right decisions and choices, and yet you still don't get the answers and results that you hope for. And when things happen like that in life, you can feel like it's not fair. What have I done to deserve this? I moved to King's in 2001, and I came to start the Jericho Road Project, which is our work amongst the homeless here at King's. But in my first few months of being here, I had this kind of strange illness which stopped me from working. I had some weeks off work, and I don't like being off work anyway, but I was thinking, what are my employers thinking of me? I've arrived, and I'm off work. It gets confusing. I can't understand it. And yet, I want you to know today that God speaks to us about the importance of having time away. And sometimes these are planned times. Sometimes when we have children, we know that we're going to be separate for a season, or whether study or work commitments are going to mean that we actually draw back a little bit from our regular commitments. At other times, we can feel like we're pushed away and we don't understand. Friendships can unravel. Here at the Catford site, you can feel like you're alone and hidden. No one notices me. It's why we put such emphasis on our groups as a place of being known. Perhaps serving, you know, you're serving in an area at the moment, maybe in the kids' work or in Nords de Fours, and you're doing it out of duty. In fact, I may be speaking to the people who are not in the room. They may be in the Christ right at this moment. And, uh, and yet they don't feel like, this is what I'm really called to do. I'm just serving at the moment. I feel a bit hidden. But I hope today's message is very encouraging for you. And I want to focus on the biblical character of Joseph who definitely experienced the roller coaster life journey, the highs and the lows. And yet somehow he remained faithful throughout. See, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we read about some great men of God. Their names are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet more is written about the character of Joseph than of each of those great men of God. There are actually 12 chapters. It's well worth reading it. It's a great story. But today, I'm going to focus on just one or two things about Joseph's life. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. So there'll be no multicolored coats today. There's no singing, I'm afraid. But there is a depth to Joseph's character that I think is highly attractive. And that's what we're going to do today. And I want to look at how God uses those moments in our life. You see, he not only cares for us when things are going well, he cares for us all the time. See, when life is going well, do you ever use this phrase? God's really with me. Yeah? Or you hear other people saying it. God's with me. Life's going well. But I wonder how quickly we, are, how quickly we say God is with me when things aren't going so well. When things aren't going the way we want them to go. Do we quickly to say God's with me at that moment or not? Or think about Facebook for a moment. I use Facebook. It's a fantastic way of staying in connection with people, isn't it? And finding out what's going on. But the reality is that we choose exactly what you put on Facebook. Now, I do encourage you not to put everything on Facebook. Just put a little bit. I'm not encouraging you to divulge lots of information. But let's imagine it's about 10% of your life that you put on public display. You demonstrate that. And I'm going to show you a picture of an iceberg as well, which we're going to show there. You see the iceberg there? About 10% of an iceberg is above the water. It's visible. 90% of it 
It's completely hidden. You wouldn't ever see it. If you're on a boat next to it, you wouldn't see the majority of the iceberg. You see, our lives are a little bit like this. We probably have 10% of our life that is on display for other people. And actually, in reality, 90% of our life is hidden. There's lots of us that we just don't share with others. And we don't necessarily want to or need to. But the fact is this, is that God is interested in 100% of your life. He's not just interested in the bits that are on show. He's interested in every part of your life. As I was preparing this, I thought about the fact that we probably spend about 90% of our time looking after the 10% on public display and about 10% of our time looking after the 90% that's hidden. Yeah? (laughs) Let's start at the beginning of the story of Joseph in Genesis, which happens to be when he's 17 years old. And Joseph is one of the youngest in his family. And he suffers from being his father's favorite. Now, there's much could be said about favoritism. It's never helpful, and it's certainly not helpful in this story. You see, chapter 37, verse 4 states this. It says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. It's pretty strong language. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So imagine what it's like for Joseph at this point. He must be pretty lonely. He's the outcast of his family, of his brothers. He's the one they don't want to talk to. You see, being rejected by anybody is painful. Being rejected by your own brothers, especially so. But even at that age, he must have been thinking, what have I done to deserve this? I never asked my father to give me a nice bright coat, did I? But here I am, suffering as a result. Through no fault of his own, he had suffered rejection. It might have been made a little bit worse by the fact that he did go and tell his father what the brothers were up to and kind of dobbed them in a bit during his time. But also, Joseph had a gifting. He was prophetically gifted. He had dreams which he could interpret. And being a kind of 17-year-old, he strode right in there. And when they had this dream about his brothers bowing down to him, guess what? He went and told them all. (laughs) It's not the best move, is it? It almost cost him his life. It's interesting, isn't it, gifting? We all have gifts, I believe it. We all have something that we contribute and make a difference in. But often, our strongest gifts can be very, very close to becoming our downfall, just like Joseph. If you think about, I think about high-profile cases of public speakers, people who have Great public gifting. And they, uh, they don't quite know how to manage their power. Because underneath them, they've got 10% that's fantastic and amazing, but underneath that 90% is rocky and broken and shaken. And guess what? They fall apart when it comes to money, sex, and power. You see, whatever your strengths, without strong foundations to them, they can lead you into trouble. Sport and music are two areas that come to mind immediately. I meet young, gifted musicians. As soon as they hear the words, world tour, they're gone. Their head is somewhere else. And yet, it doesn't take much to realize the challenges and the pressures and the problems that come when you go on a tour and you're separated from those that you love. See, preparation is critical. Rick Warren is a pastor in the States and also the best-selling book called Purpose Driven Life which is the second most popular Christian book in history apart from the Bible. And he became a millionaire 
through book sales almost overnight after it was published in 1995. And I've heard Rick and his wife Kay talk about how God prepared them for the day when they would suddenly sell 30 million copies of a book. You see, when they were first married, this is what happened. They decided that they would give a contribution to the local church. They would give 10%. But they felt challenged by God to increase their giving. So every year, they went up. So it went to 11%. Then they decided to go to 12% the next year. It was obviously costly. This wasn't like when they were earning big money. This was just the, uh, the pastor's salary. They, they kept on going up. 16, 17, 18% is how they described it. And they committed to increasing their giving every year. You see, when no one else in the world was interested in what the Warrens were doing with their money, God was preparing them. You see, the day when they became millionaires, guess what they did? They gave every penny back to the church that they'd ever paid them in, in salary. That was their first commitment. And then they now do what they call reverse tithing. They give away 90% and they live off the 10% that they earn. You see, when no one is watching, God wants to prepare us. He is taking care of the whole of our lives. But in Joseph's case, in his teenage years, he didn't have the maturity to handle his gifting. And as we discovered, he almost lost his life. But his life was spared, and he was sold into slavery. He ended up in Potiphar's house, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, in a completely different country to his own, away from his own people. And at this point, we might be thinking, he's moved out of the purposes of God. Was this really what God wanted for him? He suffered ill treatment, separated from his own country and his own people. Here he was a nobody. No one knew who he was. He didn't have a father giving him nice gifts. And we could probably excuse him some bitterness and some despair in a young man, yeah? But out of this desperate position, we discover and we find the character development of Joseph beginning to take shape. We're going to look at chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. And we discover at this point that Joseph is far more than a dreamer. In fact, there's no mention of his dreaming gifts. He was industrious. He was trustworthy. And he made the best of the situation that God had placed him in. And those around him benefited. Not only did Joseph do well, but Potiphar's house did well because Joseph was blessed by the Lord. This is a story of a young man who's part of our church. His name is Sam. And I spoke to him recently and he told me his story. He finished his master's degree about two and a half years ago in business. And he applied to a London-based multinational company. But when he went to the interview and started to meet the company, he realized that in this company there was a culture of partying, heavy drinking, and lots of, lots of girls. And he spoke, to, he was worried about it. He spoke to his family. He phoned them and asked them to pray and counsel him and advise him on what he should do, whether he should take the job. Aware that he didn't want to bring shame on himself or on the family. He knew he was going into a difficult situation. And they replied to him and said, you should take the job. We're trusting God. 
And you, are, you, know, you could do it. And his testimony has been that God has prospered him and the company in the two and a half years he's been there. In fact, he's been promoted twice. So that now he's in a position where he oversees 50 staff and reports directly to the global boss. This is 20 nations, this company. And here's what I believe. Is I, know that, I think they know they can be trusted. Here is a trustworthy man who is humble and hardworking. But here's the other secret to him. He also, whilst he's been there, been able to employ a member of staff who's a Christian. And they pray every day when they're at work for their company. You see, Simon's a hard worker. But he knows the reasons he can hit his targets is because God is with him. And that's where he puts the praise. And that's where he puts the thanks. But are you ready for the big tests of your character? You see, the more responsibility you have, the greater the challenges. It is better for us to invest time with less responsibility, learning to walk closely with God, and developing a pattern of life which you can then reproduce when the big challenges come your way. When you're alone, when you're hidden, out of view, in the shadows, will you allow God to prepare you? Jesus is a great example of this. The majority of his life is hidden. For 30 years, there are brief mentions of his life. Until at the age of 30, and then for three years, he is absolutely in the public eye. Three years where the people around all knew about him, and people were watching what he did. But for 30 years, what was he doing? He was developing his trade. That's what, that's what, that's what we know in Scripture. That's what he did. He didn't perform miracles. He wasn't creating headlines. You see, most of us live in a world whereby we say we've done three years training, and that's it, we're ready to go for the rest of our lives. We reverse it from the model of Jesus. You see, we have to be continually investing in the 90% of our lives that's not on show. Now, when Jesus was faced with one of the greatest challenges of his life, is when the devil came to him and tempted him. And Jesus had spent 40 days away in the desert, alone, fasting and praying and being with his father. And the devil came to him. I imagine the devil thought, this man's at his weakest. He's at his broken, most broken moment. And the devil came to him and said, show me, show his, to show his power. Ask Jesus to show his power, to demonstrate it by making bread from stones. The devil came to him and said, save yourself. Throw yourself off this temple and angels will come and rescue you. He even said to him, I will give you power, this is devil, I'll give you power over all the kingdoms if you just bow down and worship me. The truth is, Jesus wasn't at his weakest at that moment. He was at his strongest in order to fight the battles that were coming his way. His hiddenness had meant that he had power to overcome the devil. It wasn't the first time that the devil thought he had Jesus on the ropes. They had Jesus just where he wanted him, broken man. You see, on the cross, Jesus was broken, but again, he was able to overcome the devil and overcome death. You see, in weakness, Jesus conquers. See, if we allow him, God wants to prepare us for the battles that we will face. And this is the most important message of the day, is our character is more important than our gifting. Let me say it again. Your character is more important than your gifting. So how will you allow God to prepare you? What do you need to do? For some of us here today, you need to accept the season that you're in. 
your job, your relationship, your location, even being in South East London. And you've got to accept that it's the best that God has for you at this moment. That he's got a plan for you. That he desires to change you. And some of you, it's to stop wrestling with God. And let him simply be Lord. It's kind of submitting in the shadows. And it's what Jesus said just before he went to the cross. He said, your will, not mine. See, for others of us, it's spending time with God. It's looking at the scriptures. Less social media, more scriptures in our lives. You see, character development happens when no one else is watching. It's not when you're on display, when someone's looking at you. It's what happens when no one else is there. You see, I'd love to, I'd love to offer you a shortcut today to character development. I really would. I'd love to find shortcuts to all sorts of things. <laughs> I'd love to find shortcuts to a good preach. Preparation takes me a long time. <laughs> I couldn't find it. <laughs> I did find this quote from the author Mark Twain. It says, it, he said, It usually takes me more than three weeks to prepare a good impromptu speech. See, our society doesn't encourage the long road to success. We're more likely to make sure and encouraged to make sure the 10% on show is looking good. That's what advertising basically sells us. See, ways to character building look like this. It may involve serving others. Doing things for others, not because anyone's going to thank you or reward you at the end of it. Scripture declares that those who listen to the needs of the poor, God gives special attention to. It might be that you need to stand up for justice. It might be praying for those who are sick. And do remember, this is not about what people see you doing. It's simply what you do. Helen Keller was a truly remarkable deaf-blind lady. Well worth finding out more about her life. She said the following, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. When we allow God to shape us through all our circumstances of our life, we discover who we are and who God has made us to be. And that's what the 90% of the iceberg really is about. It's about finding out who we are in God. And we find this. We find that we're not accepted because of what we do or achieve, but we are entirely accepted because Christ first loved us. We've been adopted into his family. Accepted, not rejected. The old life has gone. The new life is available to us. We are becoming little by little more like Jesus Christ as we pursue him. And we find out that he is the architect of our entire lives. But let's go back to the story of Joseph to find out that he has experienced both the highs and the lows. And at this point, he's under pressure. He's had success in Potiphar's house. But the master's wife has noticed Joseph. Not only was he successful... And we need to be aware of this, that when we are successful in life, there are challenges on our way. And as I read that Sam story to you, and I spoke to him again straight after the meeting, we prayed together, it was, there's, there's challenges that will come when you are successful in life. And Joseph's challenge was this, was that Potiphar's wife had noticed him. The Bible says that he was handsome and well-built, and she wanted him. She was after him. She wanted him in bed with her. So men... 
How would you deal with this? Successful career. And then someone offers you, jump into bed with me. What would you say? Potiphar gets really rich from all my hard work. I deserve some reward for all I've done. I'm asking the question, what would you say to Potiphar's wife? Here's Joseph's answer. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Oh, yes! Guys, fantastic news, yeah? Fantastic news. Aren't you excited? I'm like, yes, this is the sort of man I want to follow because he is good. Yeah? Come on, guys, be honest. We know it's a challenge at times. And actually, to know that there is a man who's led us the way and he said there is a way of saying no. And not only did he say no once, he kept on saying no. Because day after day, she went after him and day after day, he said no. And the other beauty of this story Listen to this bit. Is that not only did he say no, he also got himself as far away from temptation as he could. So he didn't stay close to her and say no and hang out with her and be friends. (laughs) (laughs) He got as far away as he possibly could from temptation. We need to listen to men like Joseph. But listen to this. He's done well. He must be thinking, this is great. I've made the good choices. And his reward for good choices was that Potiphar's wife set him up and he went to prison. That's not what he expected to come in this story. Joseph has done well and he's sent back to prison. I mean, hold on a moment. Going back to prison, he's been there before. He's been in slavery. But Joseph was discovering more of the key lessons in character development. Let me tell you what they are. It often involves being misunderstood. If you've ever been misunderstood, you're in good company. Life can be like that. People don't understand your motives, your intentions. Not getting credit for the good you've done. I've made good choices, but it hasn't gone my way. Things haven't gone well. A good friend of mine stopped drinking after 20 years of abusing his body with alcohol. And uh, I'd hang out with him, and we'd meet some of the old drinkers, and uh, we'd bump into him in the street, and they would make the assumption that he was still drinking. My friend was still drinking. And they would make comments like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're still drinking, and you're still, you know, you're, still, you're still using. And never once did I hear him say and stop them and say, oh, no, no, I've stopped drinking. Never once did I hear him say, oh, no, I'm clean now. I'm dry. And do you know why he never said those things? It's because he discovered the beauty of living in the 90%. He discovered the beauty of living in security that Christ gives him. The confidence it gives him to know that actually he is loved and accepted by the Father. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about him. It doesn't matter about what the 10% view him as. Actually, he knew the majority in terms of the basis of his life that he was a clean of alcohol. He had satisfaction in knowing who he was. 
See, Joseph was framed for a crime he did not commit, and he was forced back into this hidden state. His public success had been stripped of him. So how would you cope with that? Take it all away, take your job away, your wealth, your position in church. What you have left is who you really are. I'll say it again. Character is more important than your role, than your gifting. See, in prison, we might think that Joseph had reason to feel aggrieved. He surely did, but he didn't. He said he could have said it's not fair. But the story quickly reminds us that Joseph was a man of depth of character, and he allowed God to work through him in the prison. Chapter 39, 20b-22 says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put him in charge of all those in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Again, we see the trustworthiness of this man. And yet, that didn't get him out of prison. For years, he stayed in the prison cell. A test of patience, which is another kind of key characteristic of character development, is how would you wait in terms of the waiting times? Eventually, Joseph, through his gifting in terms of the dreams, interpreting dreams, which he carried on in in this period of time in the prison, was released from prison. And at this point, he went to become Pharaoh's prime minister over the nation because he prophesied about the, the, interpreted the dream about there being years of famine coming. And Pharaoh put him in charge of leading the people. And what I find amazing at this point is it's almost like the culmination of all the things he's learned throughout his life. There's all the, the dream interpretation, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness, all his industriousness and hard work all came together at the point where he became prime minister over the nation. And he led the people through a tough time. I want to summarize the key ways in which God develops our character. And at the end of this, I want to give you an opportunity to receive prayer. See, firstly, God develops our character through our pain. We've seen it in Joseph's story. Rejection from those closest to you. Not getting credit for the things, for the making good choices can really hurt. See, today I want to encourage you. Don't hold on to bitterness any longer. Take it to Jesus. Perhaps today is your moment to pray with someone and ask God to take it from you. You may need to forgive those who've hurt you or ignored you. You see, many people in this church I know would say say to me that the toughest times in their life have become one of the greatest things they have to offer to others. Because they can testify that God has brought them to a place where they've known healing and peace. It's a story of encouragement to many others who haven't found it yet. So first is our pain. Second is through our preparation. Being prepared to wait Even years in a place you don't want to be requires patience. So today, my challenge to you is accept the place that God has put you in at this moment in time. And where possible, embrace that situation and ask God to transform you. I mean, you may well need to keep praying for other situations around you to change. There may well be injustice that you want to keep asking God to change. But first and foremost, are you open to God teaching you everything he can in the season that you're currently in? Our preparation might well be spending time with God alone, choosing to be hidden. Matthew 6, 6 says, But when you pray, 
Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. It really is a beautifully simple picture of how to live a godly life in a busy world. Closing the door and praying, being alone. It reminds ourselves of who we are in Christ, of truth that will set you free. It stops you needing to promote yourself. Thirdly, through our faithfulness, we get to serve both God and man with honour and dependability. So here's your challenge. Are you serving God well in your workplace? Are you doing as Joseph did? And whatever task you're given, big or small, are you doing it to the best of your ability? Are you serving others in church? I mean, I do mean on Sundays, but I also mean throughout the week. There are many things that go on, unseen, hidden acts of service in this church. I get to hear just a tiny number of them. But keep on doing it. People you might have met in your group. And the third part of serving is reaching out to those around us. Maybe it's helping the elderly at Wednesday Welcome, or the youngest at Rainbow Rhymes, or the homeless at the feast. There are many opportunities within the church life. But also, maybe it's a neighbor who is unwell, or a family member that is struggling to hold down a job and keep looking after their family. The options are endless. But let me wrap this preach up like this. The story of Joseph is very, very similar to the story of Jesus. Jesus suffered rejection from those closest to him. He was regularly misunderstood by his enemies and his friends. He was patient with God's timing. He served God and man with honor and dependability. Jesus overcame temptations of all kinds. But whereas Joseph oversaw the rescue of a nation from a famine... Jesus saved a dying world from the famine of being separated from God. See, Jesus offered eternal salvation for people who needed him. He offers well-being for those who put their trust in him. But he also modeled for us how to have a godly character. And it mostly involved this. Learning to be in the hidden place rather than in the public place. Christ modeled it and he calls us to walk closely with him in order to be able to release to do all that he has placed inside us in the future. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to stand, actually. In fact, what I'm going to do is ask you to stand, ask the band to come back up. And uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive prayer this morning. And um, I'm also going to ask the ministry team to come forward, because let me just explain a few things about what it means to receive prayer. We don't get to talk about this very often, but listen to this. I've got three questions. Who can receive prayer at King's? And the answer is obviously everybody can receive prayer. And importantly, it doesn't reflect negatively on you if you choose to come forward and receive prayer. You're welcome to ask a prayer if you're a leader in the church or if this is your first time here. I know that in my life when people have stood with me and prayed for me, it's strengthened me. We also run a pastoral care clinic once a month on a Monday night. Because we know there are times when you just need a little bit more space, privacy, and time to talk and pray. And tomorrow night is our next um, pastoral care clinic, which is on uh, a Monday night. Details are on the screen there. You can go to the information desk and sign in if you would like to come to the pastoral care clinic tomorrow evening. The second question I've got is, who can pray for others? 
we primarily ask that those who are on our ministry team, they've got a badge on, and they've been, they come to our training, we'll pray for other people. Although we do believe in the body of Christ, that saints can pray for each other. But on occasions when we do that, we'd ask that men pray for men and women pray for women. And then finally, what should you expect when you come to get prayer? And my guidance would be this. Is if you're comfortable and able to, is tell the person what you would like prayer for and what you're responding for. The person, obviously, that will then pray for you. The Bible tells us that when people prayed for each other in the, in the Bible, they often placed hands on each other, and it was a sign of God's impartation of the Holy Spirit being passed on. The person praying for you might well read a Bible reading or might well say something they feel God's saying to them for that situation. But my encouragement would be is don't rush. Wait on God. Don't rush off. Allow the Spirit of God to do His work. And importantly, it's not about outward expressions. People may cry. They may cry out as they are being prayed for. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that you get to meet with God and allow Him to change you.